Welcome to another episode of Sound Saints, a podcast aimed at helping the saints of God think sound thoughts. I'm Kurt Dolmas, senior pastor at Hingham Church. Hey, now, wait a minute. <laughs> what would that make me? I'm Clint Eppensbacher. <laughs> oh, my apologies. Uh, senior pastor. Wait, I'm an elder. Kurt Dolmas. We are who we are. Yes. So we've been talking a lot about the Apostles' Creed, and we kind of realized that there's just a lot going on in our lives, a lot going on at church. And so Clint thought maybe it would be a good idea to um, just start on another topic. I'm pretty confident it's afraid he doesn't want to get into the banter with me about the descended into hell part, but at some point we will get to that again. But right now, we decided we'd like to discuss baptism and the Lord's Supper and how these sacraments are related to membership in church. Yeah, and we may not get through all of that in just our uh, one episode here, but we can at least get a a jump on it. You know, and and I, I think it's helpful too, Kurt, at the outset, just to sort of set the stage for why we, as elders determined that these were the things that we needed to start working through. Um, having left the RCA uh, two, maybe three years ago now, but at some point in 2018, and uh, having joined the EFCA, of course we have the EFCA doctrinal statement or statement of faith, which is uh, very foundational, very helpful. It does not spell out for us uh, many of the things that we need to agree upon as elders and as a church in order to function together as a church. And so I know when I arrived in Hingham <clears throat> right away, I knew these were some matters that we needed to, uh, to to take care of to make sure that we were all on the same page about, that that we were able to, to shepherd people according to. So uh, in order to exist as a church, we needed to know what does membership mean? Uh, what, what does it entail? Who can be a member? Um, and, uh, and, then, and then we needed to think through uh, how do you make someone a member, which gets us to baptism. Uh, how do you make someone into uh, a member in terms of like their, their uh, public con- profession? You know, and that, that also pertains to baptism, depending on which view of baptism you take. Uh, and then how do you uh, actually... Um, you know, as, as uh, Jesus says in Matthew 18, how, how do you employ the, the keys of the, of the church, right? The keys of the kingdom that are entrusted to the church, and, and how does that pertain to the Lord's Supper? These were, by the way, th- these were the same questions that the Protestants uh, were asking when they left the Roman Catholic Church in the 1500s. They had to ask the question, what is a church? Because they had always just answered that with, well, it's the, it's the Roman magisterium, the Pope and the, the Holy Roman See and all those things. And, and, uh, but the Protestant uh, reformers answered that question, even though they answered the specifics differently, they answered that question, well, a church is a, a place where the saints of God sit under the right proclamation of the Word of God and where the ordinances or the sacraments are rightly administered. And so I, I just realized, man, we can't do church unless we know what we're talking about when we talk about those things. Yeah, yeah. It's been really eye-opening. It's just like, well, we do baptism because that's what we're supposed to do. And we do the Lord's Supper because that's what he's commanded us to do. And yeah, we meet in a church because we have this nice building, but it's it's really a lot more than that. Yeah. 
Well, and I think too, there's there's a lot of people who have really good uh, intentions, and I think honestly, we've we've survived for two or three years now, kind of in this intermediate state, uh, where intermediary state rather, where uh, you know we we we're all kind of just operating based on what we've been used to, but maybe with an increased level of openness or inclusivity or uh, charity toward others who may disagree with us, but but also at some point needing to come back to, okay, what what can we say? What, what does do the Bible believe? teach about right. this? And how, how far can we go um, in, in understanding it? So No, I agree. We've been definitely employing a lot of 1 Corinthians 13 these days, I think. It's just we're going going at it, loving each other and sticking together. But yeah, we, we are definitely trying to get everything in writing. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I thought I'd just mention here the seventh article of the EFCA Statement of Faith, because that, that's the only guidance that we have from uh, the Association of Churches, to which we belong, uh, on, on these matters. And it says this, it says, We believe that the true church comprises all who have been justified by God's grace through faith alone in Christ alone. Uh, they are united by the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ, of which he is the head. The true church is manifest. So when they say true church, they mean the universal church. Here's where it gets more specific. The true church is manifest in local churches, like Kingdom Church, whose membership should be composed only of believers. The Lord Jesus mandated two ordinances. We use the term sacrament and, and ordinances interchangeably, but um, two ordinances baptism and the Lord's Supper, which visibly and tangibly express the gospel. Though they are not the means of salvation, when celebrated by the church, not by individuals, I think that's important, when celebrated by the church in genuine faith, these ordinances confirm and nourish the believer. And I think that's a really awesome uh, uh, statement of faith there. It it doesn't spell out for us exactly what baptism means. It doesn't spell out for us exactly what the Lord's Supper means, but it does tell us what they're about, how they're meant to be used, what the purpose of them are. So very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, if this was a video cast, you'd see me nodding along as Clint is reading this. But yeah, it's definitely um, what we're working towards getting things done here. So that being said. Yeah, so... Um, Kurt, uh, on baptism, let's let's tackle that a little bit here. Um, you know, Hingham Church is uh, in in a place where we have we have for 130 ish years, we have been a covenant reformed uh, uh, church in terms of our view on baptism, which means that we would certainly baptize um, any. Uh, any Christian who had never been baptized before uh, upon their profession of faith that we find to be credible. But it also means that we would baptize uh, infants uh, the, or children of those who are members of our church, who are right. believers. Um, that's definitely a, our partic a particular strand that has existed for, um, well, for thousands of years in the, in the church uh, in terms of church history. Uh, but, but we have also taken... An additional step. What, what in the last, uh, in, in, in light of this document that was created uh, right before you came on the elder board, but that we've presented to the church recently, uh, what have we added into our practice of baptism? Well, it's a good question. Um, we have recently you know, basically adopted credo baptism as well, or a believer's baptism. 
basically, you know, the belief that baptism comes from someone who makes a personal choice or decision, um, makes a pledge to Jesus, basically, in front of people, which is obviously different than baptizing an infant. So, yeah, we've basically adopted both forms. Yeah, infants don't typically make very credible professions of faith, uh, at least in my experience. So Right, right. <laughs> Put a little water on their forehead. If they cry, that means that they're in, right? Right, right, yeah. <laughs> well, and actually, that's really important to say at the outset, too. In, in Along the lines of the EFCA statement here and the the... the major area of agreement uh, between both of these views that I think is, has been really unifying for our body is that whether you are a covenant reformed Baptist or a believer's Baptist, uh, we all agree that baptism does nothing to save the individual. Uh, it does nothing to guarantee anyone's salvation or or any of that. It is it is simply something that we do in the words of the statement here to confirm and nourish the believer. And so I love that. Yeah, yeah, and it points us to the gospel, right? It's 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 a visible and tangible expression of the gospel. Um, well, so Kurt, why are you a covenant reformed Baptist? And you know, uh, some some of uh, those who are listening, who uh, who are uh, members of Hingham Church, may know that uh, I've only recently, within the last, it was probably about a year ago or so, uh, when I really started questioning my view of baptism. At the time, I was a credo Baptist or a believers Baptist, um, and I have been for my whole life up until that point. Um, but but I, I I've changed my view, but I. I'd be interested to hear from someone who has been a lifelong covenant reformed Baptist, and I can even play devil's advocate a little bit and argue against you or try to get you to explain some of the some of the things uh, according to your view, just because that's that's essentially words, where yeah, I've been. Clint loves to stump me, especially <laughs> on the air. So be ready for a few laughs. But you know, when he does, at least he comes in and bails me out. So I appreciate that very much. Um, well, basically, I'm a covenant. Baptist believer because otherwise I wouldn't be baptized, right? I was baptized as a baby. Just kidding. I put a lot of a lot of thought and prayer into this, you know. And reading the Bible on its face, I I do understand completely where a believer's Baptist, you know, comes from. Be repent and be baptized. People are are walking into the water and getting baptized. You know, it's happening with John the Baptist, and then you know after it happens in Acts or whatever, it's. A decision of the person, um, but I, I guess I, I believe that it's more of a covenant from God. Um, you know, He's the one that basically is accepting us and in, into His kingdom. It's really not our choice to be saved. We we have to respond to Him. Um, but I think baptism is a response, and you know, it's it's more of a, you know. I'm stumped already, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so let me ask you this. So, uh, we are. Uh, what what happens in a baptism when when let's let's and let's even take the example of an infant uh, who is being baptized. This is not someone that's making a profession of faith. I get that. What what is what is being stated? What is, what is the significant thing that's being done? 
it's basically mm-hmm. a, a parents showing sign that you know that they're going to be raising their child as as a, a child of God, you know, in, into um, Jesus's Jesus's kingdom. So, you know, it's we're going to be raising our child to be a Christian, and um, you know, the the child, and at some point, will have to obviously uh, give faith and you know, pronounce it. Can't speak today. Um, Profession, profession, yeah. professes faith <clears throat> at some point as well, but basically, yeah, it's we're we're latching on to to the Lord, and so so what you've just said there is uh, what I would consider to be a response by the parents to the baptism. So so um, as believing parents uh, who desire to honor the Lord in how they raise their child. Uh, it's very common, and it certainly is is what happens in Hingham Church, that the parents will actually um, baptize their child, and then, in response to that, commit to raising that child in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And then on top of that, the church actually then commits back to the parents uh, that they will assist them in, right. in doing that. It's, it's the par- parents' primary responsibility before the Lord, but that the church is there to help them in that endeavor. Um what what is happening in the baptism itself? Uh, because I, I've I've uh, kind of uh, noticed that this is not something that a lot of people have given voice to, and it's something that actually was really convincing to me, and one of the reasons why I, I changed my view. You mentioned it a little bit, um, but there's something happening that God is promising something in that moment. Uh, obviously, we're not. We're not having an epiphany. We're not hearing the actual voice of God. You know, the, the heavens are not opening. But um, can you talk about that a little bit? Well, I, to me, I guess it's like God has made covenants with His people since Abraham, and I struggle to find where people make covenants with God, which it seems like a believer's baptism might be. You know, that personal choice, but it's like. God always says, I will do this, I will do that, I will do this, and you will be my people. And baptism, basically, then, like you were saying way better than I was, um, baptism is an act of God, basically, so it's his covenant. Uh, and we're just responding to him. Yeah, yeah, and so that's how I've come to understand. I, and I never knew this before about a year ago, but yeah, that, that baptism is actually uh, an action that the church takes, to convey the promises of God, that should this infant, in this instance, come to saving faith, that all the promises of the gospel will be uh, made effective in in that child's life. So it's just a promise that if you have faith, if you believe, then then you will be accepted uh, by God. And so uh, it's it's a uh, really uh, cool thing in that, yeah, the Lord is the one doing the speaking. You're right in noticing, I think, Kurt, that, um, and this is what blew my mind. Uh, a, f- a friend of mine uh, asked me this that same question that you just brought up there. You know, in all the covenants that we see in the Old Testament, who is the one doing the talking? And it's the Lord. It's always the Lord. So then, why would that change up all of a sudden in the New Covenant? You know, it is Good the point. New Covenant. It is the most recent covenant, but it's still one of the covenants. Uh, it is the covenant that Christians are under. It is the covenant by which we are saved as Christians. Uh, but it, but it, uh, but it still seems like 
the Lord is the one doing the speaking there. So, well, okay. So let me let me uh, come at you from another direction then. Um, so in in the New Testament, here's what I see happening: uh, somebody has saving faith, and then they get baptized. So why in the world are you baptizing babies when faith always comes first in the New Testament? That's a good question. And I guess I would just probably refer to a few spots in Scripture where you, it doesn't get into exactly how it happens, uh, but several times in Acts, I would say Acts 10, Acts 16 are some good examples uh, where, where people believe they become baptized and their household or thousands of people get baptized at a time. Is it just the dad, or is it just the parents, or is it just the people who are old enough to decide seemingly at that moment um, that they've become Christian and they've been baptized? And to me, it just it, it felt bigger than that. Um, you know, when the jailer bring, brings uh, them over and they um, baptize him, his whole household is baptized that day, so... That's kind of how I relate that. <clears throat> so here, here is what it says in Acts chapter 16. I was looking that up while you are talking there. So this is regarding the story of the conversion of the Philippian jailer. Uh, verse 29, And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. There you have it. Okay. Uh, so uh, this, this, is what, um, this is what happens down in verse 34. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So can I read in that? Can I read into that, that maybe his whole household came to saving faith? If they're rejoicing with him that he'd come to saving faith? I think so. Okay, so there again, there we have a household baptism, but everybody in the household is ha has saving faith before they're baptized. <laughs> All right, he's got me pinned to the floor. But anyway, <laughs> so what if one of them in the household was an infant? Here we get down into the rabbit holes, right? Sure, right. Well, could it, could the infant rejoice? Maybe, right? But. Uh, what about the conversion of Lydia? Same chapter in the book of Acts. Um, it says this in verse 14 of chapter 16. Uh, One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, from Thyatira uh, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay, and she prevailed upon us. So in that instance, there is no mention of her household rejoicing uh, and certainly not having saving faith. It just says that the Lord opened her heart, very specific there, her heart, uh, but that her whole household was saved too. And so there, we, we, we're just not told. I mean, we can... We can make all kinds of assumptions, right? Yes. Uh, and maybe those are right assumptions, but they are assumptions. 
And so uh, those, th- that is one of those uh, household passages. There's a few of these in the New Testament, a few, especially in the book of Acts. And so these are things where we just kind of have to, uh, to guess. I, I would definitely say, <clears throat> you know, one of, the, one of the things that I think fits better where there aren't any necessary assumptions from my perspective on this under the covenant reform view is just that, that uh, we don't have to assume that her household had faith in order to understand how they could be rightly baptized. And, uh, and the, the believer's Baptist view has to make the assumption that everybody had saving faith. Could they be right? Sure. Um, but but that, is a, that is an assumption that, that's not present there in the text. So Yes. It just doesn't say anywhere what, how to raise your child and when to baptize them that I've ever found in the New Testament. Right. Yeah, and so there's a there's a biblical logic to both of these views. Uh, I would be so bold as to say that it is impossible that both of these views are true. Okay, only at most one of them is right. Correct. Um, so if that's the case, why why would we as a church say uh, we're going to be accepting to both of these views if at most only one of them is right? Well, I think you said it. It's impossible for us to discern which one is exactly correct. And I believe that it's non-essential to saving you. So seeing as how we can back both styles with Scripture, I think it's just fair to say we'll kind of leave it up to the believer's choice. Yeah. You know, I uh, one of the other elders asked me one time uh, about this. Because there are other issues that are maybe non-essential to salvation. Um, and by the way, I should start by saying I agree wholeheartedly. This is non-essential to salvation, which one of these two particular views of baptism you take. However, I would say that uh, it is not non-essential to the life of the church for us to be able to agree on how we're going to approach baptism. Uh, I don't. I also want to say... Let each one be convinced in his own mind, right? As the New right. Testament also says, like it's important to study this and, and come to a place of conviction on this, even if you hold that conviction with somewhat of an open hand. And I think that's essentially what we're trying to do as a church, is we're saying, you know, this matters. You should study this. You should come to your own conclusions. But exactly. um, but we're, we're doing that in a, in a, in a more open-handed way. Uh, but, the, but the question I was referring to earlier is one of the other elders asked mm-hmm. me, you know, is this, is by allowing believer's baptism to be incorporated into the body of Hingham Church, is that going to in any way lead us uh, down a slippery slope in some form or fashion toward uh, liberal theology, something like that? Because there are other issues that certainly would uh, that are maybe non-essential in and of themselves, but they can can start us down a path that, uh, well, this is part of the reason why we've left the RCA is because we don't want to be associated with kind of a classic liberal theology. And my simple answer for that is no. There, th- this, this does not in any way lead us, whether you're a believer's Baptist or a covenant reformed Baptist, this does not in any way start you down a path to where you start to de-emphasize scripture. Uh, that's why I've really uh, valued organizations such as the Gospel Coalition, for instance, where they take also an open-handed view on this particular issue. <clears throat> um, 
because they're trying to uphold both both people from both views are trying to uphold a very high view of scripture and actually in different ways uh, they're they're actually trying to uphold scripture uh, which then leads them to the particular view that they land on and so that's one thing that and I've known that for years and I've respected uh, Covenant Reformed Baptist for years even though I disagreed with them uh, up until recently on how they come at this particular issue. So, yeah, uh, you know, what else do we need to say about baptism? I mean, of course, there's many, many things um, uh, that, that we could say here, but, uh, but yeah, it, it does seem like um, faith does always precede baptism, but it's not always the faith of the one being baptized. It's not the one being baptized. Necessarily. Correct. Necessarily. Could be, but not necessarily. Scripture doesn't uh, tell us everything we might want to know about that one way or the other. Um, and so, yeah. Is there? But what else? Is there anything else that we need to say about this, Kurt, or do you feel like we've uh, kind of touched on the main things that we need to touch on? I think we've touched on it pretty well. Um, we really don't need to talk much more about believer's baptism, I don't think, because that seems to be the more obvious one. You profess it. You sure. Believe it. Um, yeah. Well, we should, and we should give voice to that. You know. Right. Um, one of the things that I hear from a lot of my believers, Baptist uh, uh, friends, is that, you know, they really appreciate having that milestone in their walk with Christ. So, of course, if you're baptized as as an infant, that's that's not a very memorable thing for you, right? And uh, and so there's there's a lot of uh, uh, enjoyment of the fact that they can look back on their life at that moment they were baptized and say, that was a moment when I made a public profession of my faith and, and did all these things. Um, of course, they would say that's not what proves their view. That's just a, a fringe benefit of that particular view. And, uh, and so we are, um, we're, we're, we're looking at some of those things. Uh, of course, uh, we do that differently. We still make public professions as a uh, covenant uh, reformed church. And so, um, it happens in a different way, but, um, but it's still happening. So yeah, it's, it, it's this way or that way at this point. Right. Well said. This has been another episode of Sound Saints. We'd love to hear your thoughts and questions, and you can reach us at kurt.dalmas at gmail.com. Go in grace and peace. Oh, 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 oh,